0: Thank you for being part of the Birth Story community. I am so excited for you to have this book in your hand once you've purchased it and it has arrived. I hope that you will give me your thoughts and feedback, and don't forget to take a selfie with your book and post it on Instagram and tag at birthstorypodcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. Today, I am interviewing Sarah Clark. And Sarah came to me via email from Canada. And I could not have been more excited, Sarah, to have gotten an email from your assistant about your story and what you do. So Sarah is really cool. She's like a podcaster and author, and she's got a really neat story. And so we're just going to start right there, Sarah. I want you to tell everybody that doesn't know you, maybe hasn't listened to your podcast or read your book, like who you are and why you are on the podcast today. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me. And yeah, so I am a, I'm a fertility
1: coach, a author, an infertility conqueror, a wife, a mother, a business owner. There's, there's all the titles, but um, just a person living their passion, I guess right now, as you know, I spent years in corporate and then discovered
0: all the work I'm doing now and finally found my purpose. I love it. Some of my favorite interviews are when I am interviewing just mom bosses that say just what you said, that they're living out their passions. Like once Mm -hmm. upon a time, they were in corporate America. So you are my favorite kind of guest. And today we are tackling fertility. We're going to hear about your story, Sarah, and then we are going to talk about in detail how and why you knew you just said, I am a fertility conqueror, because there are so many women listening right now that need this hope, that need this message from you, that feel really lost, that feel sad, that don't know where to turn, and that maybe today's episode like opens a door of something that they haven't thought about before. So let's start at the very beginning. We know where you're at today, right? You're an author and a podcaster and a fertility conqueror. But once upon a time, Sarah was in corporate America in her 20s and looking to have a family. So will you walk us through that period of time for you? Yeah. So corporate Canada.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah. And it was really, so I always joked in my early 20s that I was having Menopausal hot flash. I remember being—I was in HR at the time, and I'm like uh, interviewing people and I'm like joking, "Ha menopausal hot flash." And turns out that's what it was. So I had irregular periods in my early 20s, and by regular I like a couple times a year. I thought that was a good thing because I didn't get my period, didn't have to worry about it. And then in my in my teens, I had great skin, and then in my early 20s, I started getting acne, and I also had yeast infections. And then I had this weird fungal rash on my chest. So all these kind of seemingly unrelated symptoms. And so first line of defense, when you have regular periods and and uh, acne is to go to your doctor and they're, you're put on the birth control pill. So I was put on the birth control pill and the acne didn't really improve. But obviously the periods became regular, but that was not um, natural way of looking at it, more, more of a band-aid approach. So I um, had this life plan of getting married at 25, married at 25, and then wanted to have my kids at 28. So just before 28, I decided to go off the pill. And at that, at that uh, time, the periods were still irregular. So I went to see my OBGYN. And then I was told that I had premature ovarian failure, which is the loss of function of your ovaries before the age of 40. And the only way I'd ever have children is by using donor eggs. And I remember her, I remember her being in her, in her office and she reaching up onto her shelf and grabbing the brochure for uh, IVF and told me that's what I need to do. And I remember I was like a complete shock at 28 saying, wait a minute, donor eggs. And I I left the office. I'm not a big crier, so I wasn't crying. I was like just more stunned. And But I didn't take any time to grieve. I didn't take any time to figure out all those different symptoms I was talking about there. And so I went straight to the, to the fertility clinic and went on a list for a donor egg. And this is back in the day where I was basically uh, going on so someone was going through male factor infertility, and she in turn would donate half of her eggs to us if we paid for her treatment of um, going, going through IVF. So did that, went on a list. Um, this is like almost 18 years ago. So okay. when, I, when I tell people donor eggs, they looked at me with like a blank stare. Then even what a donor egg was, and now we have because of all all the IVF procedures going on, we have egg donation, we have egg adoption. Like um, I interviewed someone for my podcast, and she adopted an embryo. Sorry, not egg egg adoption, um, uh, embryo adoption and uh, embryo donation. She adopted a little embryo, and the natural siblings are thirteen years old, and her little baby just turned two. So that's pretty cool. Um, so but, cool. Know, we, yeah, but we didn't, we didn't have that back back then. So, you know, we, it's, it's, it's a newer thing. So when I said donor eggs, people don't even know what I was saying. And so we went to this fertility clinic, we're put on the list. And back then I received the donor profile in the mail. So um, and I didn't even get a picture of the donor, but we had um, the maternal and the paternal histories back, back to the maternal and paternal grandparents. So we um, lined that up. I'm super tall, like six foot. So I wanted to have a somewhat tall donor knowing I wouldn't get a six foot donor, but you know, that tall like, height was the thing for me. And also, you know, trying to, trying to somewhat match, you know, my physical characteristics, but without seeing the person now with the donors, they have, you can see them, see what they look like, which I don't know. It's kind of even weirder. Cause then you end up, you know, there's like a whole thing where maybe you're going to pick someone. I, I don't know. Anyway. So I, I didn't have a picture. We just had the profile And we're lucky enough on the first fresh transfer that it worked. And my daughter has just left the house and she is off to university. So she is almost 18. So this was your husband's
0: sperm. My husband's sperm. Sperm, A donor egg. And then they just did, you know, the, um, I am assuming that there was a period of time where though, where you had to do the whole IVF procedure with the hormones, can so you didn't tell have to us? Do a- any,
1: any, didn't have to do any of the injections or anything. So, so okay. during this sort of time, I thought, like, I actually thought that I had it easier than other people that had to, you know, use their own eggs, had to go through years and years of it not working, I had to go through all those different, you know, hormone shots and things. Now, I obviously had to do some preparation to get my body ready for it, like taking. And this is years ago, so I'm I'm probably not gonna remember exactly what I took, but like some hormones to prepare my body. But I did not do any injections; there wasn't any of that. Okay. Um, and then obviously had to, you know, mon- you know monitor my hormone levels. So so there was that piece running back and forth to the clinic. Um, and then really also we had the other piece of the lady that was donating. So us taking half of her eggs, and she she was dealing with with male factor infertility. So mm. she got. I mean, she had 18 eggs, and donated half to us, and um, wow. and we had, we had, they implanted two, and then they had two embryos that were, were left over, and um, both of them were like grade A, like top top embryos, and it worked on the first transfer for for Ava, and I was um, 31,
0: so. So you were 31 years old, mm-hmm. and you started this process about 28, so it was yeah, over right. a three year. Mm-hmm. Fertility journey for you. Mm-hmm. And you said that you implanted two and then mm-hmm. one was successful, but you knew that's that right. twins was a possibility.
1: Yeah. So. And also, not that this would play, play the match, but my mom's a twin, but like so, but that that's not my genetics. So. so you could have had but,
0: yeah. more than I, that if the egg split.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. people, you know, we're dealing, we've got people with triplets and more. So yeah. So I was, yeah, lucky enough on the first fresh transfer and then on then after a year one my kids close together had those two embryos um there and went back in and my husband's like sarah you seem a little stressed and like you know i was bound determined to have the kids close together and went back in and that didn't work so then we went on another list for a separate donor and um the same process the mailbox and you know the paternal and paternal grandparents history, look to the height thing again for me and obviously the physical characteristics and then also health and things like that. And then we were lucky on the first price transfer to have our son and he's 15. So we were, we're one of the fortunate ones that this actually worked.
0: So both of your children then are not a hundred percent biological siblings. No, no. Okay. So let's go back really quick, just because I'm curious. I've got a question about, like you said, you went in a year later and you seemed a little stressed. Did mm. they, at that point, did they implant both of those two yes. remaining As at the, the same time? Mm-hmm. And then we're about to get into, you know, more of your story. Do you feel that anything else played a role in that transfer being unsuccessful or oh, do you fine. feel that it was stress and stress yeah, like hormones? I,
1: yeah, I, I I do believe that I was like keyed up, and you know maybe my hormones hadn't quite balanced back from the year. I think a whole host of things going on, but I think the fact that the stress thing that I had to you know I was bound to determine this was going to work, and I didn't really. And back then, like I help people now with mind body, and you know we do diet, lifestyle, all these things. So I did none of that. I just went back in, did the transfer, and and really didn't have and even the counseling they provided back back then it was more like it was very limited counseling so there wasn't really anyone to talk to about this i just at the time all my girlfriends were having babies it was a you know you get to be that age 28 to usually past 28 when everyone got married all my friends got married around the 25 mark all started having babies kind of the 28 early 30s so there was, it was a baby epidemic in all my friend group and um Yeah, I wanted to join the party.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I know what it, I didn't have my first until I was 35. So I remember many years of sadness, (laughs) Mm -hmm. trying to be really excited when everyone was pregnant with their third baby. And I was like, still not pregnant with my first. So, well, this is a really good place to pivot, Sarah, because what I really want to do is dig in and do as much teaching today as possible, because there is a lesson there, right? From the first transfer to the second transfer to the third transfer. And then we have additional lessons that we're gonna dig into on your specialty and your passion that kind of grew out of this. But I want moms to kind of have heard from you, maybe some of the things, if they're in the middle of this right now and they're going in for that IVF transfer, like, what would be some key recommendations to help them reduce their stress and their anxiety and not be keyed up to best prepare their body for, you know, accepting a transfer? So I thought we could touch on that for just a minute and then turn into what it is that you do today to help um, conquer fertility.
1: Yeah, so if, if so we so we take a functional approach. So we say that IVF is your last step, but if you are going to IVF in the next, you know, month or two and that's what, what you've decided to do, we will like I say to basically really dig into the mind body side of this and looking at visualization, looking at you know, meditation, talking about your emotions, like really dig into this visualizing this working because there can be a lot of stress obviously leading up to this and pressure and sort of really kind of dig into self-care and this is based on uh, Alice Domar so she's a Harvard researcher and she's been running mind uh, body fertility groups for over 20 years and, she, and people in her group um, that did these these mind body strategies so visualization fertility yoga meditation like being in a group and talking about their, you know, their what, what their, their experience. So, 55% of women got pregnant within six months, and then within two years, 95% uh, went on to be, become a mother somehow. So, this stuff is is well proven. And if you're going to IVF, that's where you want to go. Like I, we take a functional approach, which looks at things completely differently. But if you're doing the IVF route, that's where I, that's where I'd go.
0: Okay, so before we turn to functional medicine, if someone's already at that stage right now, like they they've missed this podcast, they've you know been directed, they're in the process of IVF, and to say they they're listening and they're like, oh, I'm really terrible at mindfulness. Like this feels like something I just don't even know where to start. Um, is this does Alice's group still? Is that something that? A listeners could be part of today.
1: Um, yeah, Alice Domar has still runs a group in Boston. Like we, we run groups a couple times a year. I've got one coming up in a couple weeks in September that I co-facilitate with a therapist, and she's run the mind, mind, mind-body groups in, in a hospital setting for for years. It's based on the on the the principles of that. But really, if the mindfulness piece is is too much, or the meditation, you think you got to you know spend hours meditating, it's more. Like if the sitting still, meditating doesn't work, then try fertility yoga. If that doesn't work, when, you know, when you're when you on a walk, just to be present, not, you know, obviously we like people listening to podcasts, but when you're actually on a walk, take the earbuds out of your ear and listen to the birds, the sounds around you, your foot hitting the pavement. Or another part of mindfulness can be eating. We all eat. When you eat, instead of shoveling the food in, like I used to do, I'd sit there eating really quickly. It's more, you know, chew each bite. You sit at the table, have a nice plate, you know, have a whole kind of a um, routine around around this. So it feels very calming and not like eating at the counter and stuffing in your face. So those are kind of things for mindfulness. So it's either mindful eating, mindful walking, or even the shower. We all take a shower or a bath. And um, while in the shower, and this comes from uh, John Kabat-Zinn, so he's 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 the the pioneer, the grand the grandfather of 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 mindfulness. And really, when you're in the shower, uh, and he was on Oprah years ago, and and she that she she uses he uses this analogy with her, saying when you're in the shower, feel the water on your body, smell the you know the shampoo. Because um, a lot of times we're in the shower, we're planning our whole day, we're not even in the shower. So every time you come back to the water on your body, to smelling the shampoo, to you know feeling what, you know whatever it is, the the heat of the shower. That's mindfulness, you coming back, so those simple things you you can do as you start to prepare, and there's hypnotherapy and things like that too, but just that things because there's a lot of pressure and worry and you know comparison and triggers everywhere for people that are dealing with infertility and and like I was saying, when usually in this age, a lot of people around you are getting pregnant, so a lot of triggers, jealousy anger, resentment, all all these emotions to be able to give voice to them and not stuff them
0: down. Yeah, thank you. I think that those are all very practical pieces of advice. I interviewed just a short time ago, a hypnotherapist. And so no matter where you're listening from, these are things that you can type into Google with your local city, type in things. um, Like there's an application that I use called Headspace Mm -hmm. that I'm a big fan of that helps someone who's not great at mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Um, It starts with one, three and five minute meditations. So just really getting into some practices that help with that deep relaxation and help eliminate some of that um, release of adrenaline and cortisol, and really help that body get out of that fight or flight response mode. So I will link to Alice's group and John's research into the show notes, as well as maybe a link for some apps that would help anyone who's currently in that IVF process. And now we're going to go like back a little bit further. So if you're listening and you or someone you know or love has been struggling with fertility like Sarah was, and you're not in the like, you're not at the end stage of this, right? You're just wondering about some of these menopausal hot flushes or irregular periods, or you are have been trying to get pregnant and you are uh, have been unsuccessful for many months. Your skin is changing. You've noticed you know, smelly discharge or yeast infections. You had mentioned like random, I know the eczema or the fungal mm-hmm. things on on your body. There are so many uh, nausea, I mean s- sleeplessness, restlessness. There are so many symptoms that we could talk about that kind of are symptoms of infertility. Mm-hmm. And so this is where Sarah's life work began after this story that she told us and the success of having these beautiful children through a long journey and through that that loss in between. And here you are today. So let's Sarah specifically talk to the women that are listening, that are right there in that space. They are, um, they're getting triggered. They're sad. They're trying. Every time their period comes, it's you know, a moment of grief for them. Let's first define what is a functional medicine practitioner.
1: Yeah, so functional medicine looks at the root cause of disease or illness. Instead of so in conventional medicine, we'll will name it. In this case, we're going to name an infertility diagnosis. And a lot of people get stuck on that infertility diagnosis and not looking at the whole body. So functional medicine, nutrition, functional, the functional approach will look at the whole body and, and and seek to answer, to seek to ask why. And, and to, dig, to, to dig deeper. So for me, I'll just kind of track, track a little bit back to my story, sort of how I figured all this out because it wasn't it was like years of me trying to figure this out. So after I had my daughter, um, I had like nine colds, every cold went to a science infection. I thought it was a great idea to take antibiotics for every cold. Not a great idea. I destroyed all my gut flora. And then after that, I started getting vertigo. I got chronic bladder infections. I was peeing blood. And then became allergic to all the antibiotics because I just kept taking antibiotics for the bladder infections, the science infections, and then the yeast infections became chronic. Um, the acne got worse. I had dandruff, toenail uh, infections, and uh, although at the time I was still functioning, but and I was in corporate still, but my immune system was was pathetic. There was like you know I I got I got everything that passed by me, and then I took a life coaching course and that's when I discovered that I loved um, health and wellness. And Then I took this health coaching course, and that's when I discovered that I had these food sensitivities. So for me, when I took out uh, dairy and gluten and later corn, the sinus infections, the bladder infections, the yeast infections slowly started going away. And then it was um, taking out the the dairy, dairy and gluten, and then also digging into targeted supplements And then a few years after that, taking a stool test and figuring out I had gut infections, and so it was this, it was this law. And I didn't discover any of this till I was I was forty, so I was fully in menopause. I was no longer cycling. So if you're still cycling naturally, there's there's things we can do. And I think a lot of times people come to me, and you know they'll say they're eating a clean diet, and you know, but as we dig into it, I say most people will say they don't have food sensitivity. And say hundred percent of people that we work with, there's some there's some sort of food sensitivity going on. And not to say that's if you have that right now that you'll always have it, because it's a reflection of your of the of the current state of affairs with with, with your gut health. And as we start to look at potential gut infections and, and heal that, then we can allow the body to heal. But really with functional medicine, it's looking at those stressors, be it be it a food sensitivity, be it a gut infection, looking at environmental toxins. We're all exposed to those. So the personal care your cleaning chemicals your plastics the, um, the water that's not filtered so those kind of environmental toxins the, the mental emotional stressor and a lot of times with fertility we focus a lot on the mental, the, the mental emotional stressor and forget the other environment gut infections food sensitivities then also structural stress if there's a pinched nerve so those sort of things and digging deeper and we and we use functional testing to really Tests don't guess, because right now, if you go and Google fertility foods or fertility superfoods, you're going to be inundated with a whole bunch of foods. And then even with with the supplement side of things, people get stuck taking all these supplements, not knowing why they're taking it. So ours, we use testing to then take a targeted approach to it.
0: And when you say testing, you mean some blood or stool tests, saliva tests, like what kinds specifically, what types of testing?
1: Yeah, so we use, so we start off by using the, the LEAP MRT test, and that's a food sensitivity test that uses, that looks at 200 foods and food chemicals. So foods in the yellow, you keep up for 60 days. Foods in the red, you keep up for 90 days. And then while we're waiting for the results of the food sensitivity test, we have you do an elimination diet. An elimination diet, we have you do that with your partner. So in the beginning, I was just coaching women and now we, we, we coach couples. To really, because it takes two to tango. Even though most people that come to us are, are it's female factor infertility, there's always things we, uh, that we can do to optimize um, preconception health for the for the male partner as well. So we do um, the elimination diet. So taking out the top allergens, which are dairy, gluten, soy, corn, peanuts, and eggs, you take those out for 10 days and then systematically reintroduce them. So really, the the um, the gold standard to figure out a food sensitivity is the elimination diet. And then so you reintroduce them. We've had people that bring back in corn. It could flare up their asthma, bring back in dairy, you can feel phlegmy, bring back in gluten, digestive issues. So it's different for everyone. So not until you actually see how it feels because you could do a food sensitivity test they could come back that you're you know, sensitive to all your favorite foods, which then could just indicate that you have a leaky gut and you need to you know, work on your gut health, but it can be overwhelming. And I've had that where you take the food sensitivity test. You're like, what the heck? What am I going to eat? Are you kidding me?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Let so me food- pause you
0: right there because so many people mention this leaky gut and yet so many people have no idea what that is or what that means. So could you just kind of dig in a little bit on leaky gut? Yeah, so leaky gut or, or intestinal permeability, basically the the body is mounting
1: an an immune response to to uh, food. So it's like you've got these little little cheese cloth and as the as the, the the proteins and things coming through, it your your body is it then becomes on high on high alert, and things that were normally fine for you, it's almost this this tipping point too, where you're like, wait a minute, I've had gluten my whole life, or I've had corn or almonds, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, the body is like, ooh, I can't take it anymore. So it's, so it's that tipping point. And really with with the leaky gut, and the leaky gut can be caused by... So we see a lot of people that have been on long-term hormonal birth control. Um, same for me. So that will then impact your, your nutrient levels as well as it impacts the health of your gut. So predisposing into these food sensitivities and gut infections. So, and then antibiotics, then that, that's, that can um, uh, impact a uh, leaky gut, chronic stress. And a lot of times, and if I look back for from, from myself, I'd be like, oh, I wasn't stressed. I didn't think I was stressed. But look, like going through infertility, it is stressful. <laughs> and even though I, you know, at the time could handle stress, it just got to the point where I couldn't, I couldn't anymore. And now when I find myself saying yes to too many things, it's like, wait a minute, you got to dial it back and really focus on self-care. So a lot of those things can be underlying causes for for leaky gut, then predisposing you again to these these food sensitivities. So it's it is kind of it is it is to, to to dig into that. And so we so we do the food sensitivity test. We also do a Dutch test that looks at your hormones using urines, so looking at your sex hormones and looking at your your cortisol and your melatonin and really um, seeing which pathways they, um, the hormones are going down. So so as, so as part of my team, uh, we, we, I work with a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. She's the one running the tests and then developing the protocol based uh, based on the testing. So it's a test, don't guess model. So it's a food sensitivity testing. Then we did the Dutch test. And then, and we've had people that come in with, you know, low ovarian reserve or premature ovarian failure, and actually their estrogen is fine. Or, and, and other times we have it that's flat. So it's, it's different for everyone. Sometimes people will be taking different supplements for what they think that the, there's a, like a hormonal imbalance with what they think it is. And then with the Dutch test, we actually know what it is. So that's a, that's a crucial test. And then the, the, um, the third test we do is the stool test. And we use the GI map test. It looks at the DNA of your stool. I'd say the majority of people that we work with, there's something going on in, in the gut be it um, a parasite, a bacterial infection, a fungal infection. There, there's some sort of gut infection. And then as we use targeted, targeted supplements to address that, then you can start to heal. And then then you potentially these foods that you were sensitive to, you can start bringing them back in as you start to heal the gut. And then the last one we do is the hair tissue mineral analysis. And that looks at um, your mineral status, because a lot of times you're eating this healthy diet, but maybe you're not absorbing it. And so you can tweak a lot of that with, with diet and when with some, some targeted supplements. So those are the, the four tests we use. And then we develop a protocol. And really the, the tests are the beginning. People get stuck kind of on the test part of it. But that's really the beginning because you've got to then make all these, these lifestyle changes. So with making diet changes, and it's more than just... Because you can eat this beautiful targeted diet. It, it is more than just diet. It is looking at lifestyle, looking at your sleep. So sleep hygiene is... The the foundation of good health and, and fertility So you work on sleep hygiene with clients for months, Um, movement that's right for you, Uh, the environmental toxin load. So getting, getting rid of that. It's not about going to your, you know, going to your house or your personal care and throwing it all out. It's when they expire, then you can get a, a better option. And for that, it's to go to the skin deep database and you can look at your current product and you want it but, um, between a, a one and a three. So uh, just check what your current products are, and then as again as they as they expire, just gonna get, get a new one. So it's not panicking here. Yeah. Sometimes people will go into that. Yeah, the panic mode on, like oh, I gotta throw it all out. I gotta change everything over. And that that in itself causes stress. So this is a we we have a six month program. It's with your partner. It's it's a it's a slow approach, but it's slow, but you can get results quite quickly. By making these these targeted changes and not panicking about the whole thing,
0: I know. And I'm so glad that you mentioned the skincare because our the skin is our largest mm. organ, and I think people sometimes forget when you put lotions on or perfume or deodorant or your makeup or you know shaving gel or shampoo or conditioner. Like all of these things play a role. Also, not just the food that we're putting inside of our body. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Hey, it's Heidi. I'm interrupting the podcast to let you know about a free resource that I've created for you at birthstory.com. All you have to do is go to birthstory.com and then click the tab that says the workbook. Once you put your email address in, an entire resource library of all of my secret sauces are available to you for free as my thank you for listening to the Birth Story podcast and being part of this community. At birthstory.com, under the workbook, you will find a birth plan template, articles on circumcision, delayed cord clamping, flipping a breech baby, packing your hospital bag, acupressure points, placenta encapsulation, and so much more. There are over 20 free articles ready for you to download at birthstory.com. Now, let's get back to this amazing episode. One of the things I wanted to ask you is because there is, you know, women that are listening to this podcast are going to be of all different ages. Some of them might not have gone down the IUI or the IVF or this other route yet, which which in this interview, we are considering a last resort. But there's also the age of the mom is sometimes playing a role in in how much... Like they're getting nervous because they feel like they're they're having on a fertility journey, but they're also running out of time. So what I wanted to talk to you about is if someone is listening today and they're in rural Montana and there is not a functional medicine practitioner and they're interested in what you're saying, can some of these things be done? Can functional medicine practitioners like yourself work with clients remotely is my first question and then the second what is the typical time frame from the time someone comes to you with infertility you do all of the testing you do the implementation and then you say now you should try to get pregnant again yeah, so
1: we work with our couples. We work with couples worldwide. It's all all via Zoom, so so uh, via video chat, and okay. also all the te- all the tests are shipped internationally and through through North America. So we're lucky. We're in 2019. This is um, super accessible to people and really functional medicine, functional nutrition. The functional approach is the future of conventional medicine, instead of just as we say, just naming it and, and throwing a pill at it. This this is to look look to to see why because if your body. If, and and infertility, there's uh, one in six in Canada, one in eight in the U.S., and one in five in the in in the U.K. So and and even stats before it was 60% female infertility, 50% as 40% male, and now it's showing more 50-50. So it's this is you know, if you've seen the, the the show The Handmaid's Tale, I, I watched that show and I'm like, oh my god, because they're talking all about the you know the the food and the water and all these contaminants and um, that. May not be too far off, but anyways, I was like, maybe right,
0: I should give it another try. I didn't even make right, it through right. the first episode. It it's like super, it's so bummer. weird, it's and I was like, hi, oh, this is too far. This is too yeah. far for me. I, I'm on the second <laughs> season,
1: but I'm like, damn, this is a bummer. The
0: show, but anyways,
1: um, <laughs> it's 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 well done. But but w- so with that, we 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 work remotely for sure.
0: Yeah. What I wanted to interject right there is that. Um, so many women take on the responsibility of thinking that their infertility is because of them, and yeah. i 'm so glad that you just threw those statistics out because your partner, if you're in a heterosexual mm-hmm. relationship looking to get pregnant this way, right. then your part then your male partner, their diet, their nutrition, their stress their food sensitivities their Products that they're using in the shower and on their skin and on their face that they are ingesting, that 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 is 50% of the puzzle. That that your male partner, if that is your relationship, is just as important to be on this journey. It is not just on us, the women who are carrying the baby, creating a healthy embryo is 50%. 50. And so I'm so glad that you touched on that, that this is a journey for both. Partners to be on. And even, I'm assuming, you know, even for the couples that you're working with that may be going the IUI or IVF or embryo adoption route because they are in in, and not in a heterosexual cisgender Mm -hmm. relationship, but they still, the carrying mother is still has to prepare her body. And when the carrying mother has to prepare her body, you still need your partner on that journey with you. Yeah, because so. it's,
1: it's it's mostly women that come to me. I'd say about 99% of women are the ones that reach out to me first. And they're the ones making all these changes. And the, and the partner typically is quite supportive and they may not even know what to do. And they may try to do some supplements and try to do some things, but they're not quite sure what they can do to optimize it. And also men, men and women handle infertility differently. Women t- typically are the ones that join the forums, join the face- Facebook groups, reach out, you know, have an account on Instagram and really you reach out that way maybe tell a few a few close friends men generalizing stereotypically will will tell no one but it doesn't mean they're not equally hurting so that that's a point as well and i think you you mentioned before about the age thing and we we have women and couples it doesn't matter what age they are like 28 38 44 wherever they are they're they're past the point where they want to uh, expand their family so i'd say everyone's in a panic which, which, which can be scary because even like, people at 30 are, being, are in a panic. So it doesn't matter the age. It's really like, how, they, how they are. And then they're feeling that their only choice is to go to the fertility clinic when that is the last step. Like, why do you want, if, if, it, if, it, if it takes, if an IVF, an average IVF has a 30% success rate and it takes an average of three cycles at a cost of $60,000, why is that the first step? why you know let's look to see well why do you have irregular periods why do you have an you know unexplained infertility with functional the functional approach is not unexplained we've had people coming in with unexplained infertility they actually have an undiagnosed autoimmune disease multiple gut infections food sensitivities high stress you know there's there's reasons it's not unexplained so that is just uh, it's not this is you know glazing over the the issues so
0: and I think that that's what I was so important about what you do as a functional medicine practitioner. As you started this podcast, you said, I am looking for the root cause. There is always, always a root cause whether we find it or not. And one of the easiest examples that I give to my clients when I'm talking to them, and again, I'm just a doula, I'm not a functional medicine practitioner, but I'm, when I'm working with my clients, especially if they've had one or two babies, and then all of a sudden they're having trouble getting pregnant with the third, right? Because maybe hormones, sensitivities, things have changed, stress levels have changed you know, over time. But I say You know, if you go to the doctor and you have heartburn and they give you a heartburn pill, that day it's going to take away your heartburn. But that's just a Band-Aid. We're just covering up a symptom. But why are you having heartburn? What did you eat, right? Is your lower esophageal sphincter loose? Do you have celiacs? You know, there's always an underlying cause. And this is the same with fertility. If you, and when they, and here in North Carolina, if you, they tell you to try for one year, this Mm -hmm. floors me. I believe that if you are healthy and you are trying to get pregnant, you are not pregnant within six months then I believe you should be seeking a functional medicine practitioner to be making big lifestyle changes by understanding your gut bacteria, your gut flora, your food sensitivities, your lifestyle. Like this is where I believe Sarah Clark comes in. And Sarah, I could not be more excited that you said that you can work across the world with anyone on Zoom because so many of my listeners are listening in from rural parts of many different countries. And so I wanted to be able to put this podcast out here with some functional advice about functional medicine, but that if someone's listening that they feel like they could also take action no matter where they live. So how, Sarah, would people get a hold of you? If they are listening to this podcast, they're in the middle of this fertility journey. They're not ready for that last resort of IVF, and they're really interested in doing this testing with you. Yeah,
1: sure. So they can well, they can find me on the Get Pregnant Naturally podcast. So we interview functional uh, doctors as well as people in the natural fertility space and the and the mind body space. So really looking at this completely differently and I sort of look, look I'll even take apart like if you have acne what what should you do if you have a mental health issue such as depression or anxiety you know how are these all linked to your your infertility and they all are so um, we'll kind of you know tease apart dif- different symptoms even though in the functional approach we don't focus on that but I think it's for people to kind of say wait a minute Sometimes people will come to me and they'll be like, Oh, I have infertility class. Oh, by the way, I have an autoimmune disease. Oh, by the way, I get migraines. Oh, by the way, and it's not by the way, it's like, Oh, that is a huge clue. Oh, by the way, I've been on, you know, 10 years of birth control. It, it's those are huge clues. So, um, someone
0: can push pause right now on my podcast, go into your podcast app and search for get pregnant naturally and hit subscribe. That's right. And then Unpush, pause, and come back to listen to the rest of this podcast. <laughs> there you go. And then, um, so how else? I know you wrote a book. Will you yeah, tell us so, a little bit about the book?
1: Sure. So it's fabulously fertile. It's on Amazon, and basically it just goes through the the the, found, the foundational steps, be it um, diet and lifestyle steps. It also has a, a meal plan and a and recipes in there to really take the, the first steps of what, what you need to do as far as looking at diet, looking at lifestyle, looking at sleep, all, all of that is, is detailed in the book. But yeah, that's, that's. and I also have a cookbook too. But really, that to, to me, the best place is to, to go, go to the podcast and you'll see it all laid, laid out there. When we talked about the, the elimination diet, I tell you how to go through the elimination diet in the podcast. So
0: yeah. And then I see that you're active on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Will you share with listeners how they may follow you? Yeah, sure. So on Instagram, it's fabfertile, Fab Fertile, F-A-B Fertile um is is the
1: handle. And then on Facebook, it's SESA Coaching, S E S A Coaching. And Twitter is fabfertile, Fab Fertile F A B Fertile. That's my that's my site, Fab Fab Fertile.
0: Fab Fertile. And then do you have a website also?
1: Yeah, fab, uh, fab for It
0: is the fab for all. So fabfertal.com. Mm-hmm. And all of this, Sarah, I will um link to in the show notes so that everyone that's listening, that's interested in, in learning more about your services, that they know exactly how to get a hold of you. But I really do hope that everyone will start with the Get Pregnant Naturally podcast and kind of add that into your um podcast lineup. So Sarah, thank you so much for being on today. I just know that there are going to be women that are listening. And today we have kind of maybe had an opportunity to slow down their journey, give them a voice to go look towards a functional medicine approach. Maybe they'd never heard of any of this before and they can just kind of push pause take a look at what's going on in their body, make notice if there's any of those other symptoms that we were talking about that could be red flags that are contributing to the infertility. And so that they may consider something like IVF as a last resort rather than the first stop. And then again, this is always, this is a lifestyle change too. So as you mentioned, You know, I'm over 40, you're over 40. Even once the childbearing years have kind of um, come and gone, that knowing this information about what your food sensitivities are and the way that your body and your gut responds, the way your skin responds to different things, including stress, this functional medicine is is not just for fertility is what I'm trying to say, is this is something that then you can adopt into your children's lifestyles. And we have the opportunity to raise the next generation that comes behind us to know things about mindfulness and healthy eating and relaxation. I've talked about this many times on my podcast, my children and I are on the Read Diet. It was a provider here in the United States, Katie Reed, but essentially, my son had a stroke um, when when I was birthing him, and has cerebral palsy and hydrocephalus, and we see a huge changes in his ability to verbally communicate um, at four years old, and to you know, have easier transitions when the inflammation is out of his body so that the neuropathways between his gut and his brain can communicate well, even with brain damage. And the differences have been completely night and day by cutting out dairy, you know, gluten, soy, corn, all of these Things that stem back to to glutamate. So I, you know, I'm a raving fan of yours, Sarah Clark, and functional medicine practitioners in general. And I just couldn't be more thankful for this podcast today. Well, thanks so much for having me on, Heidi, and yeah, doing the work
1: that that you do as well. And yeah, look, looking at the functional approach, you you can't go back. That's why I, I'm sharing it with everyone because once you find it, it's like what. Why didn't I know this? Yes. And I consider myself an educated, somewhat smart woman. And I'm like, why did I not know this? And so I think it's 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 up to us to, to you know to spread, spread the word.
0: Yeah, spread the word. Please share about this episode. Please share about the Get Pregnant Naturally podcast. And you never know. At the end of this, you may have a little baby in your arms or a toddler like me that in the mornings you're turning on your Vitamix and you're putting things like fennel, (laughs) kale, spinach, (laughs) carrot greens, and beet greens. All of those things went into my child's smoothie this morning and it was finished within 30 seconds. (laughs) So it is possible. It is possible. So I hope we make a bunch of believers and change makers out of this podcast today. Thank you, Sarah. And we will talk to you again soon. Let's have you on again.